You are now listening to the E-Watchman Podcast with your host, Robert King. Watchman's Post Podcast. This is episode number 72, recorded pretty much in the middle of June, coming up on the summer solstice, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Thank you for listening, and uh, my apologies for missing last month's program. I try to do one of these every month. Uh, it just didn't happen last month. Hay fever, just the wheezing and sneezing, it really got me down, and I I couldn't uh, couldn't get in front of a microphone and subject you to that. So. <laughs> but I'm feeling perky today, and feeling frisky, and uh, I got the mic in front of me now, so uh, let's make it happen. First, I'd like to say that uh, I've set up a new feature on the Watchman's Post. You may have noticed the guest book. It's a common feature with a lot of websites and blogs. It allows you to say hello, uh, and that's typically the way people have used it. Of course, I allow comments on my uh, post, and a lot of you interact with each other that way, sort of like a discussion forum. And I used to have a discussion forum, but it it got to be too much. At any rate, I've set up the guest book as a platform for you to tell something about yourself, your story, as I call it. Uh, if you're one of Jehovah's Witnesses, your experience, uh, how it maybe relates to uh, the information on eWatchman and, and the view that I've put out, or maybe you're someone who's studying and uh, your perspective on that, or uh, you may be an ex-Jehovah's Witness, someone who's left the faith or been disfellowshipped and uh, hopefully is trying to come back or you know, reconcile yourself to the truth in some way, struggling. We're all struggling uh, in the faith. If we're not, then uh, we're pretty much dead, aren't we? <laughs> so anyway, uh, to date, only a few people have really made a few comments on the guest book, but uh, I'd really like to open it up, and uh, I think others could uh, benefit from hearing someone else's story. And you don't have to put your name and, uh, you know, your congregation and all that stuff. We know that if you're an active Jehovah's Witness, then uh, there could be repercussions. Uh, so we, we, we know how all that works, but hey, this is the internet, and everyone can be anonymous if you so choose, and if not, that's fine, too. <clears throat> anyway, give it some thought and uh, see what, what you can come up with. As you know, the format of the podcasts are uh, that I answer readers, listeners' questions, or I try to. That's the fun part, trying, right? And uh, I missed... A few questions in April's podcast, and like I say, uh, 
May was a complete washout. So here I am apologizing again. I realize that, you know, when people submit questions, it's something on their mind right then. And it's not really uh, preferable that, you know, I answer it two months down the road. They may have even forgotten their question by then. So, you know, I am really going to try to do better with this and to be more responsive. But that's all I can do is try, eh? So here was a question from back a while. He says, as a member of the great crowd, he says, I understand Jesus is not my mediator. If Jesus is not my mediator, how are my sins forgiven? Well, you know, this business of Jesus being the mediator, it, it's a hard thing for many, even of Jehovah's Witnesses, to grasp. And you people that don't understand have tried to exploit this and uh, tried to say that, well, the governing body has made themselves the mediator of Jehovah's Witnesses. And for as much as I am around the governing body, I have to say that that's simply not true. What the Watchtower teaches, and I happen to agree with, is that Jesus is a mediator of a new covenant. And the new covenant is between him and those who have been anointed, called to be with Christ in heaven. That's the purpose of the new covenant. And Jesus' mediation of that covenant is intended to produce people uh, that will be acceptable to be taken into heaven, into Jehovah's presence. In order for that to be accomplished, they have to be made perfect and sinless in God's eyes because he's going to grant them immortality, life in themselves. So Christ's mediation is to accomplish that for 144,000. Now, Jesus died and his blood uh, was shed for all of mankind. As John said, you know, he died not only for our sins, but for the whole world. So an easy way, if you're struggling with this, well, if Jesus is not my mediator, how are my sins forgiven? Just think. And we know this is a basic tenet of truth, that virtually all of mankind who've ever lived and died are going to receive a resurrection. And that that includes millions, billions, really, of people who were not even Christian, who never knew anything about Jehovah or Jesus. We're talking hundreds of millions of Hindus and Buddhists and <laughs> Islam, you name it, atheists. They will receive a resurrection, not because Jesus is their mediator, not because they're in a new covenant, how could they be in a new covenant? They don't know anything. They haven't dedicated their life to do God's will. No. But Jesus' blood purchases them from death. And they're given an opportunity to uh, obey Christ in, in a world without Satan's influence. So, and the great crowd... If you go to the uh, seventh chapter there of Revelation, it says that 
Uh, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So for those who are going to survive the Great Tribulation, they demonstrate that they have faith in Christ. They are believers. They're, they're just not in the New Covenant. But they have done God's will to the extent that they have forgiveness of their sins. But they're not perfect. And that's the difference. Those who survive the Great Tribulation still require, are required to follow Jesus, to, uh, to obey him. They don't have life in themselves. They're still in a sinful state. And uh, they will be until the end of that thousand-year period. So that's the difference. Um, hope that explains it. Now, this is uh, an unusual question. And again, this is kind of stale. I apologize for that. He says, it seems to me the watchtower intentionally tones down Numbers 3118. It says, removing for yourselves. No, excuse me. They have removed the expression for yourselves. It says all other Bibles I've referenced say that you may keep the virgins for yourselves. Any idea why? And he goes on to say, I believe Jehovah gave these virgins to the Israelites to fulfill his purpose in making Abraham the father of a nation. But how likely was it these women were taken as wives? Likely they were concubines. He said, this is a touchy subject, but in light of David and Solomon taking so many wives and princesses or concubines, depending on the translation, sexual repression doesn't seem like something that Jehovah intended. And he goes on, but I'll, I'll make it short there. So he, he asked again, why is the watchtower toning down Numbers 31.18, or is their virgin the, the one that's correct? Well, that account says, may you keep alive all the young virgins, all the young girls who have not had sexual relations with a man. And other translations say, keep alive all young girls for yourselves. Okay. So the reason Jehovah only allowed the virgins to live is because Midian had been part of the scheme of Balaam to send the women into the Israelite camp to lure the Israelite men into committing fornication. Because Balaam wasn't able to curse the Israelites, so he came up with this wicked scheme and told Balak, look, Jehovah's going to protect them, but if you can lure them into sinning against Jehovah, then he'll destroy them for you. And to an extent, that's exactly what happened. But when the Israelites finally came into the land, then it was time for payback, for vengeance. And uh, Midian uh, was wiped out. But the, the, the Israelite soldiers overstepped the commandment of Moses and they kept a lot of women and boys for slavery. And uh, the account says Moses was incensed and he said, they have to be destroyed. He said, don't you remember these are the, the people that tried to, or that did lure you into uh, this great sin that cost so many lives? 
But he did make the allowance for the virgins to be preserved. For what purpose? Well, they could serve as slaves. Jehovah had forbidden them to marry foreign women. Jehovah is not so overbearing and uh, strict that he can't put up with some some bit, as was the case with David and Solomon. But again, what Solomon said specifically, do not multiply foreign wives for yourself. And uh, Solomon did exactly that. I mean, multiply is a good word for it. The, The guy was over the top with, what, 600, 700 wives and 300 concubines? I mean, what's the point of that? How could you even remember all their names? You know, just think when, how many times would you forget an anniversary? Every, every, twice a day you would have an anniversary. Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry, honey. And by the way, what's your name? (laughs) No. Well, all of those wives was Solomon's undoing, wasn't it? Jehovah warned him. He didn't listen. He paid the price. So I don't know if the watchtower is watering it down. I think it is implied that the girls were for yourselves, but there was also the law not to marry, not to give your sons or daughters to foreigners. So would they obey Jehovah or or not? So Jehovah made an allowance in this one case, but it doesn't nullify his other law. So it would... It's just like when the Israelites went into the land, Jehovah said, wipe them out. Do not let any of them survive because if you do, they will serve as a snare for you. And the Israelites had seen all that Jehovah had done for them. They came into the land. What do they do? They let some survive. And what happened? (laughs) They began worshiping false gods, exactly as Jehovah said. So while fire may not come down from heaven if we don't obey Jehovah, he's like, okay, all right, you go ahead. I told you. If you don't want to listen to me, fine. Go ahead, do your thing. But then boom. What did Paul say, the principle? God is not one to be mocked. Whatever you're sowing, that's what you will reap. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point down the line. Interesting question, yeah. And here's another interesting question in an oldie. He says, uh, is it possible that man could someday manipulate human DNA in such a way as to, to achieve everlasting life? Such a thing would be an abomination to Jehovah God, of course, as it would violate his perfect law that the wages of sin is death, and lawful redemption lies only through the ransom sacrifice of Christ. Is it possible that such a thing could occur in our near future after the new world order is set up? Could this be the mark of the beast? I would really appreciate your insight on this matter. Well, I think the simple answer is no, it is not possible. And the reason it is not possible is because Men are, I mean, let's face it, they're able to do extraordinary, amazing things that were thought impossible just a few years ago. 
they've mapped the entire human genome, and uh, they can do some things that are pretty scary. But what they're doing is really just manipulating already living things. Jehovah instilled life in every living thing back in creation, and it cannot be duplicated. In fact, nothing can be duplicated in any of the things that God did during those six creative days. It was all supernatural, out of the realm of human uh, potential, or angelic even, I suppose. The psalm says, with you, Jehovah, is the source of life. Jehovah is the source of life. Even the angels don't have life. They cannot create life. Jehovah has to sustain their life. Again, that's why what Jehovah intends to do with 144,000 and with Christ initially is so extraordinary because he gives them life in themselves. As Jesus said, the Son has life in himself and to whoever he wishes, he gives it. So if the angels do not have life in themselves... Certainly humans do not, nor will they ever. In Revelation, it uh, depicts you know, during the thousand-year reign a river of water of life coming from the throne, and on each side of this crystal-clear stream are 12 trees for the curing of the nations. So that represents God's provisions to heal mankind from their sin and to uplift them out of the grip of death, which we're in now, cannot be done through any DNA manipulation because death is already in our genes. That's why we die. They can fool around with it all they want. But needless to say, they cannot manipulate something that is not there to begin with because as I said, with Jehovah is the source of life. Good question, though. Glad, glad you're thinking, and thank you for asking it. I have a question about John 10, 16. He said this verse is obviously speaking about the Gentiles. Does it have a second application to the great crowd? It seems like many scriptures have two applications, the Watchtower teaches these are the Christians who will live on the earth. And, of course, John 10, 16 says that uh, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and these two I must bring in, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock, one shepherd. Well, I think the, the common view is that Jesus was referring to Gentile persons who would be, uh, become Christian, become anointed Christians in the first century. That was a big deal, you know, because uh, it was a big deal for the Jews to accept. Many, like even Peter, who was <laughs> privileged to baptize the first non-Jew, uh, later he flip-flopped and... Uh, refused to, to associate with anointed Christians who were not Jewish. But anyway, that's, that's the common view, and 
there seems to be, you know, a subtle pressure for Jehovah's Witnesses to, to accept that because the Watchtower pretty much exclusively teaches that Jesus is referring to non-anointed persons who will inherit the earth, as the questioner uh, acknowledges. But, and I, I tend to agree with the Watchtower for the reason that, well, when you examine the wording of what Jesus said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. So were the Gentiles in any sort of nation or organization that would serve as a fold? No. They were just simply individuals outside of the Christian congregation. So it makes sense that the fold that Jesus is talking about are those Christians living at this time? Have they become one flock yet? No. And that's where I would depart from what the Watchtower teaches. Because in Revelation indicates that there is to be a great ingathering, a harvest. It doesn't occur over a span of a century. It occurs very quickly in a matter of months or years, when everyone who is going to inherit salvation is brought in, the anointed into the flock from their fold and the other sheep who will make up this great crowd of persons. That's one thing I would correct about the semantics. There is no great crowd right now. It forms immediately prior to the end during the tribulation because they come out of the tribulation. Let's say a person living 50 years ago who was serving Jehovah uh, and they've died, were they a member of the great crowd? No. Because Why? Well, they didn't survive the great tribulation. You see the distinction? So... Um, yeah, I think I, I I think the Watchtower's got it right on this one too. Sorry. <laughs> um, he has another question here, though. He says, since the word "governing body" is only referred to once in the the Christian scriptures, isn't it a stretch to say that back in the first century, this group of men existed in a role like the governing body of the Watchtower today? Well, I would question whether the word governing body appears in the scriptures at all. I'm not aware of any. I, if I've missed something, you can leave a comment here. But no, the, the apostles, and there were older men associated with them. Do you want to call them a governing body? I have no problem with that. They were uh, a body of men that governed what the Christian organization taught and did. And they made decisions on doctrine. I think what the question is referring to is the, the one occasion where uh, in Acts where it, it refers to the older men convening and they were um, discussing the whole issue of circumcision and whether uh, Gentile Christians should be made to conform to Jewish law and so forth. And so they made a ruling on that and they issued a decree a written decree, and it was sent out to all the congregations, and they were expected to abide by 
what this body of older men uh, unanimously agreed upon as the the correct course. So they they were a functioning governing body. They um, they set up the ministerial servant arrangement. They they did um, relief administration. The Bible doesn't go into a lot of detail, um, but there were older men who functioned as a ruling body of the other Christians. And I, uh, I don't think the governing body as such is an unscriptural um, organization. I think it's it's necessary, and uh, but it's also temporary. And that's something that uh, they don't appreciate. And, of course, Jehovah's Witnesses don't either. Uh, but when Christ comes, he will say, thank you for your service. Uh, and there'll be a new arrangement. And other men will be used. And women who are anointed will form a kingdom ruling class even while they're on the earth kind of a sacred secret that uh, Jehovah's made me privy to, but I won't go into detail here. I've written about it, but yeah, so they, they've served their function now, and uh, there's something else coming, though. Okay, I'm going to shift gears here. I've also on the backlog here, I have a few call-in questions, so I'm going to play uh, this first one, and give my voice a rest. It's starting to get a little scratchy. Hi, Brother King. This is Carol Rammer, and I have a question for you about the Revelation 11, 11. It says, After the three and a half days, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood up upon their feet, and great fear fell upon those beholding them. I guess that's the two witnesses that were dead in the street. And they heard a loud voice out of heaven say to them, come on up here. And they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And then it goes in verse 13, In that hour a great earthquake occurred, and the tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 persons were killed. So I thought the two witnesses were the 7,000 persons that were killed, but they were dead and resurrected, it seems like, in the previous two verses, and then they're getting killed again in the earthquake. That's why I don't understand who the 7,000 pertain to. Uh, okay, so that is, I hope that's clear, my question. Thank you. Thank you, Carol Ramos. Uh, we wish you the best. Um, friends, that's uh, Carol Ramos. I mentioned her in one of the um, daily commentaries. She's struggling with cancer. And she's asked for some help. Uh, her congregation's not providing much support for her. And uh, like a lot of us, she she doesn't have much money. And uh, she's looking for some alternative treatments. Uh, the chemotherapy is not working for her. And so I, I uh, many of you have pledged to support me in uh, monthly pledges to pay for paper clicks because I explained that I don't appear well in organic searches for terms related to Jehovah's Witnesses, blah, blah, blah. I won't bore you with all that stuff. But anyway, 
I uh, took the liberty to um, use that money that you've donated, plus my own. I'm not just using your money exclusively. I don't want to put it that way, but I don't want to blow my own horn anyway. So it's kind of a touchy subject. But uh, so um, we're helping Carol out. We are helping Carol out. She's very appreciative, by the way. She doesn't have a lot of strength maybe to comment and thank everyone, but she has thanked me. Anyway, if you've missed that opportunity, I'm going to post her PayPal account here on this uh, post. And if you'd like to, it's very easy. You click on it. If you have a PayPal account, boop. The advantage of, of uh, giving to her directly, um, if, if you give to my uh, pledge, it's a reoccurring monthly thing. I just want to make you aware of that because they'll ding your account every month, every month. Uh, but you can give a one-time thing directly to Carol. I'm not taking a cut of this or anything, believe me. Um, so you can do that. And I, I encourage you to do that. If um, You know, the, it's an amazing scripture. It says that he that gives to the lowly one, the poor one, is lending to Jehovah. Lending to Jehovah. What a privilege that is. Do you think Jehovah will pay you back? With interest. Believe it. With interest. So Jehovah needs a loan here. <laughs> think of it that way. Okay, uh, as for her question, I, I'm really happy that some of you are thinking along the lines here, you know, the Watchtower, let, let's face it, come on, it's, it's, it's an artfully contrived false story that the two witnesses were killed back in 1919 and, what, or 18 and, and they were resurrected and fear of, come on. Do you, know, do you know what the Watchtower teaches? The 7,000 persons who were killed by the earthquake were, <laughs> I mean, it's almost embarrassing to speak of. They were persons who withdrew their, their names from their church rosters and as if they were killed and this was a great earthquake that rocked Christendom. No, no. I, I've written uh, quite a bit about that and that's why Carol's mentioning that. But So I, I, I really won't go into it here, but the two witnesses that are to come will appear during the tribulation, after the watchtower, after they have seen Christ, because these two witnesses, they're not named in this account here, but if you read up in, uh, this is Revelation chapter 11, it says they have authority to shut up the sky that so no rain may fall. And they have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every sort of plague as often as they wish. Now, that's what Moses did, turn the water into blood. And, of course, Elijah made the heavens shut up and there was no rain for how long? Three and a half years. And so these two witnesses were prefigured by Moses and Elijah. And the significant feature of that is Moses and Elijah were in the transfiguration. 
And so they are a type of, they prefigure the anointed who will see Jesus Christ in his parousia. Because isn't that what Peter said? That was not by following artfully contrived stories that we acquainted you with the power and the presence, the parousia of Jesus Christ. He says, but no, it was by having been eyewitnesses to his magnificence. How is it possible to be an eyewitness to an invisible anything? <laughs> what the watchtower is constructed is, uh, let's hand it to him. It's an artfully contrived false story. But when these two witnesses come on the scene, they will have been sealed, granted entry into the kingdom. And the significance of the fact that uh, they are killed and after three and a half days, uh, the Spirit of God enters into them, they stand on their feet, and then they're called to heaven. So that is a reference to Jesus being in the tomb for parts of three days and then after his 40 uh, days being taken to heaven. So they are in union with Christ. That's going back to the Christ's mediatorship, being in union with Christ. Uh, I don't think most people understand that. At this time, when Christ comes, those who are in union with him virtually become Christ because they will have the authority of Christ. They will have the same standing before Jehovah God as Jesus Christ himself. And that's why the world will be judged. If you did it to these, least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And if you didn't do it to them, you did not do it to me. So the 7,000 ties in with Elijah as well. Because you recall when Elijah was on the run uh, from um, excuse me, Ahab and Jezebel, he was hiding in the cave and the ravens brought him food. Sort of reminds us to, of uh, the woman in the wilderness in the 12th chapter of Revelation and Jehovah prepared a place for her. Anyway, uh, Jehovah reminded Elijah, no, you're not alone. I have 7,000 who have not bent their knee to Baal or kissed his image. And so these 7,000, Paul referred to them in a symbolic way, saying that those in, in the first century who had accepted Christ were the 7,000. He mentioned that in um, his letter to the Romans. Excuse me. So anyway, it says that in that very hour, in that hour, there was an earthquake and the tenth of the city fell and 7,000 persons were killed by the earthquake. So at the very time that the two witnesses are killed, also the 7,000. So that's the entire body of Christ. There will be 7,000 persons who will be sealed and anointed and they will be representing the kingdom as kings upon the earth and the wild beast will execute them. So the two witnesses represent that entire body of 7,000 and the 7,000 represent that body as individuals. And it's interesting, the uh, great earthquake 
should remind us of the fact that when Jesus died, there was a great earthquake. And also the sky, of course, went dark. And the 10th of the city that falls is heavenly Zion, part of which is in heaven. And at that time, the earthly representation of that heavenly kingdom will no longer be there because the sons of the kingdom will have been dispatched, you might say. Thank you so much for your question, Carol. Please get well. May Jehovah's Spirit be with you. Think happy thoughts. And uh, if you have the strength, uh, let us hear from you again, okay? Thank you. I usually um, cut these programs off in around a half hour, but let's let's keep it going and make up for uh, the loss of last month. I have a couple of more call-in questions here. So let's hear those. Hello, Robert. Um, I tried to make a recording here, but I don't know if it went through, so I'm going to try it again. Um, on your on your website, <clears throat> some, I guess, Jehovah's Witnesses that wanted to leave the organization asked you, what do we do from here if we leave? And you say, I'm not asking anybody to leave. I'm, you know, it's far from it. Um, and you say, carry on and do your best and, uh, you know, continue in the organization. Well, why is it that you don't go back yourself? And if you did go back, how would you feel about preaching, going door to door? What would you even talk about besides the basic truths about, you know, Jehovah is God, Jesus is Son, all that stuff? When it gets to Bible prophecy, how do we go out knocking on doors with a clear conscience? So I'm totally confused. Um, my thoughts are to serve Jehovah that I will I will preach the basics of Jehovah. Um, you know, his name, his kingdom, you know, all these false teachings that, that uh, Christendom has. I, I'm happy to do that, and I've al I'm already doing it, actually. I just started um, a couple weeks ago, you know, incidental witnessing to people. But I can't say, you know, you need to go to the Jehovah's Witness organization. I don't have a clear conscience to do that. So uh, I'd like your clarification on that because it seems a tad hypocritical for you to tell Jehovah's Witnesses who are frustrated and want to leave to stay when all this false prophecy stuff exists and, and all the terrible stuff going on within the organization. Certainly, I agree with you that Christ is going to come down and, and make them pay for what they've done wrong, and all the people, millions of people, they've stumbled over the years. So I'm a little confused with your answer to that person that wrote you that email, um, that you say, go back and do your best and be cautious as serpent, innocent as a dove. Uh, totally confuses me. Can, can you clarify that? Appreciate it. Thanks. I love your stuff, by the way. I'm just thrilled to death finding you it's like an answer to a prayer but where to go from here is you know like you say a lot of ex-witnesses call in about that and or email you so um help me to understand it because it, it does seem hypocritical to me and i i really couldn't preach with a clear conscience thank you robert continue the good work bye-bye and you know um we all want to be teaching the truth we don't want to spread falsehood 
You dedicated yourself to God because you thought the watchtower had it all laid out and you believed everything. And so then it's difficult when you find out, wow, they've got it all wrong. Christ didn't come in 1914. And so many who have come to this realization and have allowed themselves to be stumbled over a whole host of things, it's very unfortunate because at the core, the Watchtower teaches the truth. No other organization does. So obviously, Jehovah has allowed this, as I've pointed out many times, this uh, deluding influence is an allowance from Jehovah. He's, he allows it for a reason. I won't go off on that tangent right now, but there are so many people who are alienated from God who don't know anything or everything that they know, that they think they know is wrong. And uh, they may be searching for the truth and you may be able to help them. And the fact that you know uh, that you have this deeper insight into what's really going on, uh, you may be able to help people in ways that you can't appreciate right now. As for, for me going back, I mean, that, that is a problem. Uh, by the way, I, I have started going to meetings at my local kingdom hall. I've missed the last few weeks uh, just for personal reasons, uh, logistical stuff, traveling and that kind of thing. But uh, since the memorial, I've been uh, pretty much in regular attendance. And I must say, I, I really enjoy being in a kingdom all around Jehovah's people. I, I miss King, singing the kingdom songs, you know. And uh, I really like having my iPad, looking up the scriptures. I don't carry a book bag around and all that stuff. I just have my little mini pad in my pocket and go and enjoy the meeting. And yeah, I, I, I find it encouraging. And, you know, if I can eke a little bit of spirit out, uh, I sure need it. Don't don't think I've got a full dose of Jehovah's Spirit. You know, I uh, I don't, and I'm struggled just like everybody else. I got doused a long time ago, but you know it uh, has to be replenished and renewed. And you know the, the elder here at this congregation, he approached me a couple of weeks ago as I was leaving the meeting, and he he said, uh, Bob. By the way, don't any, don't ever call me Bob, please. Bob, hey, look, I just want to say, um, you know, you can be apply to be reinstated. I just want to put that out there for you. He doesn't know anything about my situation, so I, and I hate to break it to him. There's no point, but I can't be reinstated because I'd have to basically renounce everything that I've stood for for these past many years. So, you know, I'd, I'd have to take down the website. I'd have to stop these podcasts. I'd have to take my book out of circulation. And uh, that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I've suffered the loss of association, but Jehovah's rewarded me in other ways. You are my reward that, you know, I'm able to offer some encouragement to Jehovah's Witnesses who've been stumbled or discouraged themselves and who do find comfort in the things I'm able to put out there. So 
you are my reward. So anyway, uh, I, I, you know, for, for some time, I, I wasn't disfellowshipped until 2005. And prior to that, you know, I set up this website in uh, September 2002, and uh, I published anonymously. So it wasn't until 2004 that I uh, put my name out there. And, of course, on the book and massive open letter that I sent to every congregation in North America and the English-speaking world. But but during that time, I, I still went out in service from 2001 to, to the time I was disfellowshipped. And, you know, I, I really can't remember 1914 or any of those things ever coming up. You know, I, I sat in on Bible studies and had discussions with people and just, you know, like I say, people just, they don't know much and they, um, you know, it's a pleasure to, to teach people the truth about Jehovah and the kingdom and, and those simple things. Anyway, I encourage you to, to do what you can. Put yourself out there. See what Jehovah does with you. You know, you might be pleasantly surprised. Huh? You know, I'm going to share a little experience with you. I'm just... I'm going to let this thing go for an hour, eh? I had an experience. This just popped into my head. The other day I was thinking back to my ministry. This was back probably 1980, and I was um, living in Indianapolis, and a cold, cold winter. And uh, I was a pioneer, the only pioneer in my congregation, so I, I worked alone a lot, and... I, I couldn't handle the cold very well, and I, I still can't, by the way, but um, it was late in the afternoon. It was freezing. I was cold, and I was walking on my heels because my toes were just so frozen stiff, you know, and I stopped, and I said, Jehovah, I, I've had it for the day. I, You know, if you don't let me in this next door that I knock on, i got to go get warm. So it's all up to you. And uh, knocked on the door, swung open wide. Uh, a beautiful African-American mother, she asked me if I would like some hot chocolate. <laughs> uh, and uh, went and called her two children, teenage kids, brought them in the living room, told them to sit down and listen to whatever I had to say, well, she made my hot chocolate. <laughs> was my prayer answered? And, of course, one of those, uh, her children was uh, Peggy. And I hope you're still in the truth, Peggy. I studied with Peggy. Of course, took a sister along with me and eventually turned her over, and she got baptized. And she, she was in the truth when I, last I heard of her 10 years ago or so. Anyway, uh, that was an experience I had. You put yourself out there, and uh, Jehovah can and will use you if you're earnest and sincere. Okay, um, let's listen to our last call in. Hello, Brother King. I was wondering if you felt there might be any correlation or significance 
in that Daniel speaks of the 1,290 days, which is three and a half years, if that ties into Jesus' ministry also being three and a half years, and then in Daniel, it also mentions that happy is the man that waits 1,330, I think it was 35 days later, which is right about the same time period that Jesus uh, waited before ascending to heaven. So it seems like, in my opinion, there might be a correlation between the two. And I was wondering about your thoughts on it and and maybe if there's any significance. Thank you. Well, thank you for that question. That's a very good question. And uh, there definitely is a correlation between the 1,260 days, which is three and a half years, and then there's the 1,290 days, which is a month more. Uh, what that signifies, I don't know. And then there's <laughs> another 45 days, bringing it to 1,335 and as you mentioned, uh, Jesus is on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. And then 50 days after was the Pentecost when uh, Christianity uh, began. Some years ago, I, I was obsessed with those numbers. And it's like having you know a jigsaw puzzle in front of you. And you have a few pieces that you just can't seem to find how they fit in. And I worked with it for a while and finally just set it aside. And, you know, I, I really, we, we all have to appreciate that it is a secret at this point in time. And that's what the angel said to, to Daniel, isn't it? There in the 12th chapter, verse 9, he, he said, Go, Daniel, because the words are to be kept secret and sealed up until the time of the end. And many will cleanse themselves and whiten themselves and be refined. And the wicked ones will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand. But those having insight will understand. And then he mentions the, the time factor from, from the time that the constant feature has been removed and the disgusting thing that causes desolation has been put in place. There will be 1,290 days. Of course, the Watchtower has explained all of this into insignificance, and Jehovah's Witnesses have no real appreciation of uh, these important things. And the reason is because it's sealed up, and the Watchtower has played their role in sealing it up. And again, the reason is because there are wicked ones in among Jehovah's people, and God is not going to tip his hand for them. So it's not something that's been published in Jehovah's earthly organization that, that can be understood. But when the time comes, then Jehovah will open it up. And the Watchtower, as I say, they, they won't really be a factor. They will be desolated. They'll come under control of the disgusting thing, the empire. And so it's something... Very, very profound. Perhaps those 45 days are the interim between the time that the last Holy One is put to death until Jehovah brings the armies and uh, destroys the, Satan's entire wicked system. 
So there's exciting things ahead. There's no doubt about it. Uh, NATO is continuing their encirclement of Russia. The only question is how long will Russia wait before they react, respond? And, of course, that will result in a massive war and a collapse of the financial system. Uh, But, of course, the timing is all up to God in heaven, isn't it? No one knows the day or the hour. So we want to, as as the scripture says, whiten ourselves and let ourselves be refined so that we can be in a position to understand these things and to receive Christ when he comes. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity of speaking to you and discussing some of these things. I appreciate all of your questions and it's good to see so many are uh, thinking about these things, roving about, as it says in Daniel. So let's keep seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. Try to read your Bible every day, friends, and say your prayers, boys and girls, and try to do something good for someone. And a special hello to our friend Patricia who comments on the Watchman's Post occasionally. Uh, She's facing an operation imminently, and uh, we ask that Jehovah watch over you and and get the best medical care available and uh, be on the mend as quick as you can, and we'd like to hear from you. Remember, if you have questions, uh, put them in my inbox or uh, use the speak pipe you want to leave a voicemail. And until the next program, may Jehovah bless your search for the truth.